always reflect the resurrection of Christ, the glory of Christ, the power of Christ. And we don't need Easter to do that. We can do that every Sunday, and we try to do that every Sunday. But I understand Easter is a special time of the year for Christians, as it should be. Guys, if we could mute, I think it's the uh, TVs, the, the, the feed from the computer. J.D., you got the feed back there. That's got to be muted, otherwise we'll hear that feed the whole time. Thank you, bud. Thank you. There we go. I don't know about you guys. That would annoy the tar out of me the whole Sunday morning. I, mean, I can't concentrate when there's that ringing and buzzing in my ears. So, um, I mean, you'd think with five kids, I'd be used to noises like, but, but it hasn't happened yet, I guess. So, on Easter Sunday, we do want to make it special. We do want to make it unique. And so, our heart is to give you an opportunity to worship in a way that you don't normally worship. And so, on Easter Sunday, we will be singing throughout the entire morning. I'll be taking my message and breaking it up into smaller parts and then we'll be singing and then uh, a time of, uh, of truth and then singing again and worshiping and then a time of truth and worship again. So if you just feel like today, man, I could have kept singing, we'll come back next Sunday because that is going to happen. We're just going to keep singing, singing, preaching, singing, preaching. It's going to be a great morning together. Uh, we are going to have an Easter egg hunt for the children. That's not really the focus for us, but uh, the kids are going to have a time of worship upstairs, a time of, of preaching and then they're going to go outside of Easter egg hunt. And in our church, we're doing an Easter egg hunt for the community on Saturday, this coming Saturday, the day before Easter. And we'll give you some more details about that after the message. Got a lot of you signed up for that event already, and I hope that you can make it out. Looks like it's going to be great weather. God's going to grace us with some good weather on Saturday. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun out there just ministering to the community, showing them God's love, and representing Christ to those who do not know Him personally. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, I know that it is common for churches to have a themed message for Easter, and I will do that. Next Easter, next week on Easter, I'll be preaching on a message that surrounds the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. I also understand that a lot of churches have a theme message on Palm Sunday, and they have songs that surround Palm Sunday. They bring out palms, and they hand them to the members, and it's not that there's anything against that. I have nothing against that, but I, uh, when I was reading this text, I just felt very, very uh, moved to just continue in this text. This is a great passage of Scripture, and although it is not, uh, you might say, themed towards Palm Sunday, I promise you, or your money back, that today's message will be extremely encouraging to you, regardless of the lack of connection to Palm Sunday. Now, the title of this morning's message is Be the Church. Let's pick up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12. The Bible says, and we beseech you, brethren. That word beseech isn't just a request. It's not just an ask. It's a, it's a heavy ask. It's a heavy request based on a relationship, based on a friendship, based on a connection. It's, and it's an imploring of. And you don't implore strangers of something that is out of their comfort zone, something that is out of the norm. You only have that deep ask for people you know well. And the Apostle Paul knows this church well. Let me tell you this. There is no quicker way to establish a deep connection with someone than through tribulation, than through some type of battle or trial. Now, that deep relationship may not last, but it will go deep fast. In fact, that's how military personnel 
connect on such a deep level and so many times deeper than their own marriages. There are men who feel closer to their brothers and sisters in arms than they do their own wives. There are women who feel closer to the, the, the soldiers fighting next to them than their own husbands. And why is that? Because they went literally through battle together and that battle caused them to go deep. Now, the Apostle Paul in Thessalonica was confronted with a near-death experience, as was the entire church of Thessalonica. They literally were founded through tribulation, as I've stated now many weeks. The church of Thessalonica was started in the midst of a literal mob that was seeking the life of its leader, Paul. And Jason, you might say second in command, was also dragged in the streets and almost killed. And this church and Paul connected deep fast. And Paul says, I know you. I know you on a deep level. You know me. We've been through trials together. We went through a near-death experience together. And I have a heavy request for you. So let's see what that request is. Know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. He says, my heavy request is that you connect with God's leaders. The Apostle Paul, as a leader, understands the heart of good spiritual leaders. Not all leaders are good. Not all leaders are spiritual. But a good spiritual leader wants a connection with God's church. But a connection must go both ways. I think the Apostle Paul is an extremely wise man. And the Apostle Paul knows, you know me well because I helped start that church. And it was started in chaos and, and mob rule and, and tribulation and near-death experiences. So we feel like brothers. He says, I'm basically concerned that you won't give your current pastors that same opportunity. I'm concerned that you won't reach out in connection to the leadership you have. I beseech you, I implore you, do not overlook them only seeing me. I can't be there. I'm not there. I'm afar. I'm away. I'm writing a letter to you. God has given you leaders there. Connect with the leaders you've got there. I beseech you. But he doesn't end there. He has more requests. In fact, quite a few of them. These verses will be very familiar to you. As I speak through them, you'll recognize these requests. Verse 13, esteem them highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. God wants to make you complete. You ever felt or do you feel now that something is missing? You don't feel like a whole person. A part of you, you don't know what part. You're not sure if you knew you'd fix it, right? You knew you'd be replaced already, but a part of you just feels like it's been torn from you. Maybe 
That part was a person who you loved dearly. That person moved. That person passed away. That person turned on you. Once was a friend and now treats you like an enemy. Maybe that part that's been torn was a person. Maybe that part that's been torn was an opportunity, something you were so looking forward to doing, being a part of, overseeing, and the opportunity was lost. And with that opportunity, you felt like you lost part of yourself. Maybe that part was a spiritual journey you were on and you've now veered from. And you know what it was like to have once tasted a close connection with Christ and having tasted that, you now see very clearly what it's like to not taste it. Maybe that part that's been torn from you was the spiritual health you once had. Regardless of what it was that's been torn, regardless of what part of you is missing, Christ wants to make you whole again. And you say, oh, will Christ bring that person back in my life? That's the great thing about Christ. He doesn't need what was lost to make you whole. Christ makes you whole purely through him. You don't need that person back. You don't need that opportunity back. God doesn't need to bring that opportunity back into your life to make you whole again. God can give you another opportunity through him. God can give you no opportunity and just him. That will make you whole. And if the part that's been torn literally is your walk with Christ, what, the, what a beautiful truth. Christ says, draw nigh to me and I'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. He is begging and waiting for you to come back and he will join you. He's not going to push you away. He's not going to reject you. He's not going to call out all of your past and say, well, yeah, I don't, you don't really deserve to reconnect with me. He is desiring to reconnect with you. God will make you whole again. And this passage gives us how it looks. God will make you whole when you become his church. You say, well, Pastor Russ, I thought the church was everyone who was saved. Am I not already his church? Yes, you are his church. If you are saved, that is a correct statement. The church of God is made up of all saved individuals. But just because you are the church doesn't mean you are acting like the church. Doesn't mean you are following through with the expectations God has for the church. And maybe that's what's missing from your life. You are something in name. You are something in title. You are something in nature. You are the church. But in practice... You are not the church. In your daily actions, you are something different than what you are naturally the church. It is time for us to be the church, and for many in this room, again, <laughs> right? Some of you have been the church, have walked away. It's time to be the church again. Some of you are the church, but not at the level that you can be. And so, let's take a look at these verses, 15 through 21. I see three main points in this message, the church and her leaders, the church and her members, the church and her God. Let's look at the first one, the church and her leaders again, back at verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Letter A, it is the responsibility of the leadership to allow connection. It is the responsibility of the church to seek connection. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we are told the qualifications of a man that would seek to be a pastor, an elder, a bishop, a leader, a spiritual leader of some type in some capacity of God's church. There are requirements. God 
has a lot of expectations for the leader of his church. It can't just be anyone who has a desire to be in charge. And one of the qualifications is the man who's called to pastor, to shepherd, to direct and encourage and lead and teach God's church needs to be one who is hospitable. Now, that word hospitable literally means opening your home up to them. It would have the idea that if someone was traveling through and needed a place to stay, the, the inn was full. There was no room left. There was not a room, uh, there's not an inn in the town. The town was too small. It was overpriced. The person could not afford it. It would be expected that if a Christian was traveling through a town, the pastor would welcome them into their home and give them a bed, food, and comfort while they were in town. It would just be expected that a pastor would do that for strangers who were Christians. How much more for Christians that the pastor knew? That the pastor would not assign people to care for the needs of others. The pastor would be in the midst, part of that solution. Not that the pastor can be all things to all people. Of course, that's not possible. But the pastor would be part of that solution. And the pastor would not say, everyone's home and the church is open but mine. Go to lunch with anyone in the church but me. Talk to everyone in the church but not me. It is not a good look for God, his church, or his servants when the pastors are not around after the service. When the pastors hide in their offices, when the pastors jump in their car, when the pastors stay up on stage and that's off limits and you can't go up there, that's not a good look. It is the pastor's responsibility to open up their life to a connection to God's people. But then, folks, it's a two-way street. The Apostle Paul says, I beseech you, I ask of you, I implore you to know your leaders, to know those who God has placed over you. That is your responsibility to connect with me. You say, well, Pastor Russ, you're too busy. Look, I know that. I am making efforts to remedy that. I promise you. You may, it may, you may not believe it. And in time, I hope we will all see the efforts that I'm making. But I'm not the only pastor in this church. If you can't connect with me on the level you desire, we've got Pastor John. We've got Pastor Ethan, our wives. It doesn't have to be that everyone becomes my best friend. I, I'm not needing that. I don't need to be the best friend of everyone. I do, although I do want to be available to everyone. And maybe Pastor John, Pastor Ethan would be a better connection for you. My heart is that you connect with the leadership of this church. On some level with me, that is what I desire. On a deep level, I understand it may not happen. I understand it's not practical on a deep level. Although I would love for that, it's probably not going to happen. We've got other men that you can do that with, other women, pastors, wives, that can be done with. The church is not here to just exist. We are to coexist. Know those who God has placed over you. By the way, that is for your protection. When you don't know the leadership, you are easier manipulated by them. You're easier fooled by them. You're easier deceived by them. When you know the leadership, they now, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know everything about them, and you now have a wise decision to make, is this the kind of leader I'm willing and wanting to follow? When you don't know them, they can present themselves in whatever, whatever way they desire, true or not, and you just assume that it's true. Knowing your leaders helps you follow the right leader. Not knowing your leaders almost sets you up for failure as you follow a false leader and don't even know it. 
let her be. The church and her leaders, let her be. The greatest appreciation you can offer God's servant is more money. I am so glad you laughed. I have done my job well that you laughed at that because there's many churches that would say, amen, brother. They wouldn't laugh because that cannot be further from the truth, right? Verse 13, and to esteem them very highly in what? Love. Love. Love is the currency of Christianity. It is the greatest, deepest, strongest, last, mo- longest lasting currency. And I challenge you to make that the currency of your family. Challenge you to bring that currency into your workplace. The dollar bill, you can't eat it. You can use it to buy something, but the dollar bill doesn't buy as much as it once did. The currency for love only climbs. Love can't be consumed physically but it can most definitely be consumed emotionally and spiritually. The currency of love actually affects the individual you offer it to. When you give someone a dollar bill, you say, take this and go to somewhere else to spend it. When you give them the currency of love, you say, you don't have to go to anyone else. The currency itself is what to consume. Love is the currency, and that is what I truly desire from you. I desire your love, not to build me up, not to in some way validate me. My validation comes from the Lord. My validation comes from his word, but I do desire your love. Do you know why I desire your love? Because I love you, and every parent understands that. You want to be loved by your children because you love your children. Every spouse understands that. You want to be loved by your spouse because you love your spouse. You see, when you recognize that love is the currency, that's what you want to receive, the same currency, the one you offer. And the more you love someone, the more you want to be loved by them. That's how the human condition works. That's how God designed us. I deeply love you guys. Truly, truly love this church. I'm not from Connecticut. I'm from California. My wife's a Florida girl. What are we doing in Connecticut? Well, we're doing the will of God here. We're following God. We're serving God. Well, that's true. But folks, I can follow God in Nebraska. I could have, I could have opened a church in Idaho, Colorado, Florida, California. There are places that need churches other than Merritt in Connecticut. And I can serve God in a variety of places. Do you know what's really keeping me here? truly keeping me here, it is my love for you. And not just general love for this church, although that is there. My love for you individually, looking out in this audience, I can name most of you, most of you by name, first person name, and I love you as a person. I love your children, I love your spouse, I love your family, and I desire that love to be returned. That is what I want from you. I don't need your honor. If you want to honor me, you know, that's okay. But honestly, I don't deserve it. I recognize that. You, you know, let's just push it back to God. I'd rather have your love than your honor. I'd rather receive your love than your respect. In my opinion, you know, if you do love someone, there's respect that goes with it. So I take your, I'll take the love. I'd rather have your love than your money. That's the currency of this church, love. Let us be generous in how we pay it out. The church and her leaders... Let her see. 
The goal is not control. It is unity. The goal is not control. Look at verse 13. To esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and to be at peace among yourselves. To be at peace in the church. Not just between members, but between members and leaders. In too many ministries, both Christian and otherwise, in too many groups, both secular and, and you may say, might say evangelical, churches and companies, families and friends, in too many groups, in too many ministries, in too many circles of people, there is a power struggle. You can almost feel it walking into some rooms where there is someone and you're like, okay, I immediately know that person wants to be in charge. I'm pointing up. I'm not pointing out to any one of you. Okay, I'm just going to make it general here. And you recognize that person wants to be in charge, right? And you, you can almost sense that about them. It's just you'd have to be blind not to see it. There's a power struggle from someone with, with strangers they don't even know. How much worse is it in a church where you know each other? A power struggle between the leadership and the members. The leaders want to be in charge. Oh, no, no, the members want to be in charge. No, the deacons want to be in charge. No, the trustees want to be in charge. Uh, no, the men want to be in charge. No, the women want to be in charge. No, the teens want to be in charge. No, the adults want to be in charge. Everyone has their own agenda, and they all want their agenda to win, and they know the surest way that to happen is to be in charge. Let me tell you my agenda. The glory of God and the souls of men. That's my agenda, and I'm not in a power struggle to achieve it. My desire is to unite with you in peace to see it happen. Because I can't achieve that first agenda, the glory of God, when we're in a power struggle. So by very nature, to attempt to achieve the glory of God while struggling with you, I am losing that. I want to be at peace with my church family. I want you to be at peace with me. I want you to be at peace with each other because that is God's heart. The church and her leaders need to unite, not seek to, t- to take control from one another. Now you say, Pastor Russ, is there something you know that we don't? I thought we already had that. I thought we've achieved that here, and we have. I've told you, I just preach the Word of God. I'm not cherry-picking passages that uh, I think need to be preached for a certain reason. If it's in the Bible and it's in the next spot in the Bible that I'm preaching through, I'm going to touch on it as passionately as if it's a problem or not a problem. Because you know why? Someday it might be a problem, and I don't have to go back and preach on it passionately then. I'm going to preach on it now so it doesn't become a problem. I do believe this church has peace. I do believe this church is united on the same focus, the glory of God and the souls of men. That's, that's our mission statement here. We've achieved that. And that shouldn't be amazing. That should be the status quo of the church. We shouldn't be patting ourselves on the back. Oh, we're a church at peace. Like, okay, is that odd? That should be what you have everywhere in every church. Let us never lose it. The church and her leaders. Number two, the church and her members. Verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, Comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, letter A. When a warning is not enough, action is required. Verse 14, look at that again. Warn them that are unruly. And then, look at 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. Verse 14 was a warning, verse 15 is action. Verse 15 is the action required when the warning is not enough. 
Verse 15 is the action that comes after the warning, not before the warning. You do not act before the warning. You do not warn after the action. The first step is a warning. Folks, the church and her membership is more than just a group of people getting together to hear a preaching. The church and her membership is a family. And all healthy families need to offer mutual love, respect, kindness, sacrifice, humility. If we do not offer those things mutually, the relationship is not healthy. That's in a marriage, that's in a family, that's in a workplace, and it is most definitely in a church. If, we, if one is prideful, one is humble, that relationship is deteriorating. If one loves and one does not, that relationship is deteriorating. If one is kind, one is unkind, that relationship is deteriorating. If respect only goes one way, that relationship is deteriorating. It needs to be mutual among all people in God's church, in God's family. Whose responsibility is it to ensure this happens? Mine? Yes. Yours? Yes. Ours? Yes. It's not just mine. It's not just yours. When there is a problem in the church that breaks the unity and peace, the agenda of God's glory and the souls of men, when a problem occurs that breaks that effort, it is everyone's responsibility involved in that problem to remedy it so we can go back to the glory of God and the souls of men. You say, Pastor Russ, It is difficult, it is awkward, it is uncomfortable to address the issues of fellow members in the church. I understand that. You know, it's harder for me to accept that we don't glorify God and that we don't reach the souls of men. I will take the uncomfortable, difficult conversations with you when necessary so we can get back to the glory of God and the souls of men. And that's how it has to be. This church cannot be afraid to warn the unruly And to act on the unkind when necessary. Not so we feel better about ourselves. Not so we can stand in a place of judgment. Not so we can destroy someone who's hurt us. No. The purpose of addressing through a warning and an action is so we can get back to our mission. Our calling. God's glory. Man's soul. Letter B. The weak are easily manipulated Push them towards strength. Verse 14. Warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. You can, if you're not careful, keep someone in a place of weakness. Now, you may be doing it purposefully. There is a part of us that wants to feel needed by others. There is a part of every mother that wants her child to need her. There's a part of every father that wants his wife to need him. And so, when we live in selfishness and pride, we allow that part to control our actions. And we keep those closest to us weak. Because we know if they're weak, they'll need us. And in churches, the same thing happens. A lot of pastors keep the membership spiritually weak, spiritually naive, so that they always need him. A lot of older members 
Do not mentor or disciple the younger members because they want to be needed. It's like the person in a job who's nearing the point of retirement and a young person is brought in and they are told to train that young person. The guy says, I know what's going on. I'm training my replacement. That's not happening. (laughs) I want to be needed here. Except this isn't a job. This is a lifestyle. This is a kingdom. And you need to see in the future, you want to train your replacement. You want to. Because you won't always be here. And when it comes to a job, the worst case scenario is that job loses money and folds. What's the worst case scenario for God's kingdom? People go to hell. Train your replacement. Stop keeping people weak. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Build them up. Lift them up. Empower them with truth. Empower them with love, the currency of Meriden Hills and all good churches. Empower them with experiences between them and their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us empower the weak, allowing them to find strength. Why? Because otherwise, they'll be manipulated by someone. And you say, well, Pastor Russ, if I'm the one controlling them and manipulating them, I will always do good by them. I will never harm them, except the problem is you won't be the only one manipulating them. If you push them back to weakness and then they walk away from you or you walk away from them, the next person in their life may not be as wise or kind as you. If you are pushing your children towards weakness, you're not guaranteed that every person in their life will love them like you do. They will use and abuse the weakness of your children that you created because you were too scared to support them in strength and they will manipulate your children. If you push your wife towards weakness because you want her to need you, not all people will be kind to your wife. They will use her, abuse her, and toss her to the side. And in her weakness, it will hurt and destroy her. But husbands, you're part of the problem. You won't let your wife grow in strength because you're afraid she will never, she'll, not, she'll stop needing you. Our heart's desire is that everyone needs God all the time, not that they need us. Push them to strength. Letter C. Patience paired with purpose will often achieve victory. Verse 14. Be patient toward all men. Look at verse 15. But ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. Patience paired with purpose often achieves victory. Just because you want victory is not enough. Just because you're patient is not enough. You have to be patient and then plan for what you want. And I promise you, you're best off when you want what God wants. And you're most likely to achieve it when you want what God wants. So, want what God wants. Plan for what God wants. And then be patient for Him to give it to you in His time. That is when you'll find victory. Patience paired with purpose. You have purpose in your life? Are you patient enough to wait for it? And is your purpose God's purpose? Number three, the church under God. Verse 16, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Letter A, a church who does not worship is a church who is not well. Well, Pastor Russ, as long as they have truth, they're going to be okay. No, that's not the case. Well, as long as they follow truth, they're going to be okay. It depends on what your definition of okay is. Because knowing truth and following truth are extremely important. 
But ultimately, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And unfortunately, too many Christians have turned their knowledge and application of truth into an academic exercise. We know truth, we follow truth, and we just go through the motions. Why? Because we love God. Really, you say it, I don't hear it. I don't hear it as you say it. You love your family? Of course I love our family. Prove it. Well, I mean, come on. I, I work 50 hours a week. I love my family. I give them everything they need and more. I love my family. Okay. All right. I, I understand what you're saying. I can tell you right now, your family doesn't feel loved. I'm not talking to everyone in this room. All right. This is a metaphorical scenario. <laughs> There's a lot of families who don't feel loved by a lot of men who are working 60 plus hours a week. The knowledge of what love is and the action on love isn't always enough for the ones you love. Where's the connection? Where's the connection? Because, men, if all you are to your family is someone who just brings money, clothing, and food, the government can do that for them. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it is. And the government offers to do it for them, which is why so many women have chosen the government. There's less drama. They choose the government and just forget the man because that's all the man is to them. Money, food, and clothing. Where's the connection? All right, Christians, if all we are to God is bringing him things through acts of service, where's the connection? God desires a connection. You say, Pastor Russ, I long to connect with God. That is my heart. I literally don't know how. Like there was a time where I was connected. Now I'm not. I'm not even sure what happened. I don't don't even know what broke. I don't know how I lost that connection. I certainly don't know how to get back to the connection. I've never been connected with God. I see others, and I wonder that maybe I'm just strange that I can't connect with God when I see so many people doing it. Let me tell you, I'm going to give you the answer. Don't you love it when the answer is just given clearly? I'm going to give it to you. Connection with God is achieved through sincere worship. Think back again when you were first saved. What did you do? You worshiped powerfully, openly, unashamedly, courageously. You were the loudest singer. You didn't care. You didn't, you didn't pay attention to what other people were doing. You were not going to hell. You just met God. You're going to sing about it. And you worshiped like a crazy person. And you were connected. And then you got a little self-conscious. And then you got a little busy. And you know what happened? Your worship began to be affected. And inevitably, your connection was lost. That is the process. You want to get back to God? Do so through worship. Worship Him. Don't just wait for Sunday morning, folks. Worship Him at home. Worship Him in the car. Worship Him on your own. Worship Him with your family. It doesn't always have to be singing, but singing is a great form of worship. Worshiping God is lifting up His name, calling out His praises as He deserves. Singing is one of the most effective ways, in my opinion, to worship God. But you can lift up His name through prayer. You can lift up His name through actions as long as you're doing it with His praise in mind, not just doing it to do it. Connection with God is achieved through worship. And a church who doesn't do it isn't doing well. Letter B. Those who ask for direction should not refuse it when it's offered. 
Verse 17. Pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesying. So we have in the first part of these verses to pray and to expect and to ask for great things from God. And then God offers it. The Holy Spirit, uh, truth is offered, uh, prophetic truth in God's word is offered. And you say, oh, nope, not interested. Oh, too hard. Nope, I have another plan. And God's up there thinking, why do you bother asking? Christians, if you're going to ask, listen for the answer and follow the answer. I think a lot of Christians are asking, hoping that God will confirm that they're already doing okay. And when the response comes back, you're not doing okay, change, the Christian's like, oh, never mind. I wasn't really asking. I was looking for approval. Don't just look for approval. Look for God's direction. Beg for God's direction. With your business, with your family, with your spiritual condition, with your emotional condition, with your health, beg for God's direction. Get on your knees physically. Get on your knees spiritually and say, implore, Lord, please give me your will. I want it. And I promise you, whatever it is, I will follow it. And then stick to that promise. When God says, go here, go there. When God says, stop this, stop it. When God says, begin this, start it. When God says, change this, change it. When God says, tell them you're sorry. Oh, never mind, God, not going to do that. Humble yourself. Do what has to be done. Go where you need to go. Do not quench the Spirit. Quenching the Spirit gives an illustration of water running through a hose. And when you, when you, uh, you, you, you bend the hose, the water stops flowing through. The only thing keeping that water from flowing through is your action of shutting it off, you could say. You're quenching it. As soon as you open it up, the water flows through again. Your rebellion, your refusal to follow God's direction is quenching the Spirit. He wants to give you direction. You're not listening. I'm not going to say stop asking. I'm going to say you're wasting your time asking if you're not following. I'm going to ask you to ask with the intention of following. Letter C. Reflect. God's holiness from the top down. Verse 21, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. Prove all things. This is to the church. At the first part of this passage, the Apostle Paul is saying, know your leaders, love your leaders. Now at the end, he's saying, prove your leaders. He's not just saying love them unconditionally in the sense that they can do whatever they want and get away with whatever they want. He's not saying to allow the leaders to to manipulate, control, abuse, and misuse their position. He's saying prove all things, specifically the truth coming from the pulpit. Prove it. How does one prove it? You prove it through comparison. And what is the best thing to compare truth to? The Bible. Well, Pastor Russ, if the preacher's using the Bible, then why would I compare what the preacher is using to the Bible? He's using the Bible. Oh, is he? There is such a thing as misusing the Bible. There is such a thing as manipulating the truth from the Bible. Taking one word from one verse and preaching an entire message on it isn't using the Bible. Whatever that preacher is using, it doesn't matter. Take out your Bible and compare what is being said, not just because they're holding a Bible, what is being said 
to the Bible and prove that the words coming out of the mouth of the leadership is indeed biblical. Prove all things. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Do not bring shame on God's name. Reflect God's holiness from the pulpit in what is done and said. Reflect God's holiness in the congregation, within the relationships, within the conversations, to one another, to the community. A church ought to look like Christ. And if they don't, we have a problem that needs to be fixed. And it begins with the top, the leadership, and it flows down. Because as goes the leaders, so goes the followers. It is your responsibility, church, to make sure that the leadership of whatever church you're in, this one now, another one later, it is your responsibility to ensure that the leadership reflects the holiness of God. If they don't, it is your responsibility to replace them. You say, Pastor S., that's not our job to replace a pastor. I could never do that. If you don't, that church will self-destruct. If the leadership does not reflect the holiness of God, there has to be some effort on your part to replace them. Now, I understand that may be difficult. Some churches don't have a constitution that allows you to replace them. Some churches, there's too many people against you to replace them. I'm not saying you always can. I'm saying you have the responsibility to try. And if the effort falls flat because too many are against you, the constitution doesn't allow it, then at that point, you have the responsibility to find a church whose leadership does reflect God's holiness. But it's not just the leadership, it's the members. One more statement and we'll be done. There's a series of verses now, verse 23 and on. You can read them, but I'm going to sum it up in this one statement. God's church is a family, not a club. We're a family, folks. We're not a social club looking to uh, mingle and make sales and start businesses together. We're not a social club looking to feel good about ourselves because who we uh, spend time with on the weekends. We are a family. And when it comes to family, you take the good with the bad. When it comes to family, you support towards success. When it comes to family, you offer unconditional love. When it comes to family, you don't abandon. I'm not saying never leave Meriden Hills. That's not what I'm talking about when it comes to abandonment. I mean, we don't ignore the needs of someone else and abandon them to the wayside because we want to focus on ourselves. I understand that in 10 years from now, many of you will not be at Meriden Hills. You'll be at other churches. That's not abandonment. I'm saying while you are in this church, while God has called you here, do not abandon those in this church who are part of this family. Seek to support towards success. We are a family. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I am so grateful to be part of your